Good morning, everybody. It is 10 o'clock on this beautiful Sunday morning, and I want to welcome you to Grace Valley Church and our live stream service together. We're really, really glad that you have found us. Uh, of course, welcome to all our Grace Valley folk and, and also to any guests that we might have uh, with us this morning, especially those of you who perhaps are new to the Christian faith uh, or rediscovering the Christian faith after many years away from it. We're really, really glad you're with us, and we hope and pray that uh, your time with us will be uh, a blessing to you as we seek through the wonders of modern technology uh, to glorify God together in worship. Uh, we have a, a few uh, announcements this morning, um, but most importantly, we have the announcement about Safe Families Sunday. So this Sunday, is Safe Families Sunday. Safe Families is a ministry that we're going to hear a little bit about uh, from Hildy, who is the chair of the Safe Families Hamilton Steering Committee. Uh, we at Grace Valley are, are a lead church in uh, our partnership with Safe Families, and this morning we're going to celebrate that work and learn more about it. So without further, further ado, I am going to invite Hildy forward, and she's going to share a little bit with us what Safe Families is all about. Come on up, Hildy. little bit about Safe Families Hamilton Halton. Um, God is doing amazing work across the world, and I am super excited that Grace Valley is actually partnering as a lead church in this community. Um, this church is already set up in amazing ways with leaders in the community and in the church and mentoring programs, developing foster and adoptive um, parents as well. So I don't see it as anything new actually for this church, just a beautiful extension of what God's already doing through this church. So let's praise God for that. So why do we exist? Why do Safe Families exist? For many of us, we have community around us. There are many that are in relational poverty, which means they do not have connections. They do not have someone to call on when they have a baby. They don't even know how to care for a baby. Or an immigrant father, for example, um, doesn't, have a new, doesn't have a job or loses his job. So think about some of those situations. We are in a beautiful situation here as a church to be able to wrap around some of those families that are struggling. So the idea of Safe Families primarily is, is that we care for children in host homes, and then the rest of the church, in some ways, I'll explain a little later, wraps around the parents or the family that is struggling to help them get back on their feet. So the church is set up with beautiful, compassionate volunteers in that way. So why do we do this? We don't do this to save people. That's Christ's work. But we have been loved by Christ, and he's poured out his love into us, and we have the beautiful opportunity now to pour out our love to others. Christ loved us with his whole heart, soul, and mind, and now we get to do that for others. Biblical hospitality. All over Scripture, God tells us to be hospitable. And I love even in the text where it says that even as we show hospitality, we might be entertaining angels. God tells us to care for the for foreigner, the sojourner, the poor, the lonely, the sick. We're all called to do that. And Paul even says, pursue it, because it's actually not natural to us. Well, hospitality isn't just taking people into your home, right? It could be even just speaking to the person in the grocery checkout line, showing love to them. 
could be helping a friend, it could be driving someone, it could be helping in any number of ways. And that's where the circle of support for safe families comes into play. As you can see in this diagram, there's a family in crisis in the middle there. That's the family that needs temporary support. It could be loss of job or pregnancy, aging out of youth. And I want to tap into this one just for a second, because I was actually speaking with some leaders of this Children's Aid Society this week, and they challenged me to look and say families in this way in a new light. So there are children that are 15 to 17 years old that are starting to age out of care that do not have the support. We know the trajectory for their lives is addiction, incarceration, early pregnancies, and so on. So I just want to tap that into your heart and consider that option of safe families families as well. A host family is then partnered with the family in crisis, so if there are children, they will take care of the children while the parents get on their feet. Then there's the family coach. The family coach is usually the more experienced or educated. It could be a professional counselor, but it could be an experienced mother or father, or someone that has experience in financial care or support. Whatever the need is, we wrap around um, that family in crisis as a coach to guide them. And they also actually help the host family as well. Then there's the family friend. Well, I think we all know what the biblical term for friend is. That person is there to um, share in the concerns, help them mentor with babysitting, and take care of meals or whatever else a, a usual friend does. The resource friend is someone who takes care of the tangible needs. If there's a need for um, a crib or even sports equipment or whatever the need is tangibly, even for repairs, um, that is where the resource friend is. But my favorite part of Safe Families is actually that there has to be a Safe Families church. And that church, as Grace Valley here, will wrap around all those different individuals and entities um, of the whole circle of care. I'd personally like to see an abundance of coaches and family friends, because if we can prevent, as Safe Families is set up, prevent people from getting into crisis and having struggles with um, poverty or struggles in their own personal life, we can be there preventatively. That would be a beautiful way to show Christ's love and develop long-term relationships. So what's happening here in Hamilton? A lot of great things. I am super excited. So first of all, we are praying. We're praying earnestly for this ministry. We know that it is a beautiful ministry. We know that it is the overflow of God's heart. So we're praying right now in particular for a director, for leaders, for people to step up in churches and in the community. We're connecting with businesses um, and individuals and churches to raise those funds. That is our primary responsibility right now is to raise the $80,000 to launch this community. And Kyle, who goes to this church, thankfully likes money and he's been a blessing to me because I don't like money and he's taking care of the budget and all those things. So thanks for that, Kyle. Um, we're also developing relationships in our community. So we've been in touch, as I said, with the Children's Aid Society, Atwell, Helping Hands, CAP, um, even the Hamilton Police. So there's a number of organizations that we are desiring to connect to to work as partners in caring for vulnerable children and families. So what can you do? First of all, please pray. This is a big undertaking. Um, I've talked to leaders across Canada and actually internationally as well. There's a lot of responsibilities in this um, ministry. Please pray, pray, pray for guidance for our steering committee. Donate, that is our primary call right now to raise the funds so that we can launch. Um, tell others about it. It's a beautiful ministry. We have some exciting developments happening, but we still need to have some more people. 
Um, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Sign up for our newsletter. You can see the email address there as well. If you desire to donate in some way or get connected, you can see the Hamilton Halton at Safe Families um, email address. And another thing is happening on May 10th. Uh, we'll be hosting an in-depth information session so you can learn more. So whatever way you're able to get involved, I know that you'll be blessed. And I'm thankful that Grace Valley is. Okay, thank you very much, Hildy, for that presentation. Um, she mentioned Kyle. Kyle likes money, but he does not love money. We just want to make sure everybody knows that. He, he's good with money, and uh, that we're glad that he is participating on the steering committee. Uh, the other thing is, I just want to emphasize to us, that for some reason, and it was not by design, God brought a, a lot of people who have a history of involvement in various forms of orphan care to Grace Valley Church. So people who are adoptive parents, and adoptive families, people who are involved in foster care. Uh, we have a pretty high proportion for a church of our size of people involved in these kinds of ministries. And so since the very beginning, it seems like we have had a heart for the most vulnerable. And this is a new opportunity for us to get involved and engage with the most vulnerable uh, in our communities. And you know, the, uh, uh, the Apostle James in his book, he says that the religion that God says is pure is to take care of widows and orphans in their distress and that is acceptable to him and and that's one of the things that we want to do as a safe families church so please check your weekly updates look for uh the links that kate has been providing in order for you to participate in the way that hildy has described earlier and remember um you know we are we are uh we are supporting safe families corporately as a church, but we also are looking for people who maybe have, have had God place this ministry on their heart to, um, to uh, donate uh, privately and individually as well. And we really uh, encourage you to prayerfully consider how you can do that. If you can't figure out how to do that to safe families directly, you can, of course, always uh, e-transfer uh, funds to Grace Valley Church and just uh, in the message say this is for safe families and we'll make sure that that, uh, that those funds get to that ministry. It's a really exciting opportunity, guys, because listen, one of the great things about this is that, that the church is an integral part of ministering and caring for families in crisis, which means that we have an opportunity to introduce people to Jesus while we do this. And to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ is it's it's like a drug when you've experienced that and seen that witnessed that been part of that you will want more of that so that's safe families uh one other announcement before we get going uh is uh this morning we are going to say goodbye to some dear friends of ours brian and nicole stevens are returning after nearly four years of uh, life in ontario and as part of the church in grace valley they're going to go back to uh, phoenix arizona and uh, we're going to take the opportunity in a, in a little bit later in the service to say goodbye to them. So please remain tuned in and pay attention so you don't miss that. Uh, because I, I think it's a, a great opportunity for us to, to wish them well and wish them God's blessing as they uh, transition back to the U.S. All right, we're going to uh, worship together now. So I invite you to prepare your hearts with me 
in prayer. Please pray with me. Holy Father, gracious God, King of the universe and Redeemer of your people, thank you once again that we are able to worship you this morning. Thank you that you are present with us in power by your Holy Spirit as we are sitting on our living room couches perhaps uh, and um, uh, separated from one another. We know that we are bound together by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that he is present everywhere at the same time, binding your people together in worship. And as we do that this morning, Father, we pray that you will make this worship uh, time pleasing to you, that as we sing songs to you, as we hear you speak to us through your word, as we celebrate community in, in, uh, in saying goodbye to dear friends, that, that you would be pleased in all of it. We confess that we do not for a second deserve your favor and your kindness, but we bask in the favor and kindness that you have so graciously given us through Jesus Christ. We are in awe, we are humbled, we are grateful, we are full of joy this morning. Enable us to worship for your glory. In Jesus we pray, amen. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 135. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord. In the courts of the house of our God, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. Please sing with us.
from my failing. Who else would offer his only son? Who else invites me to call him father? children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Sing with us.
Merciful God, you made us in your image with a mind to know you, a heart to love you, and a will to serve you. But our knowledge is imperfect, our love inconstant, our obedience incomplete. Day by day, we fail to grow into your likeness. In your tender love, forgive us, Lord. Help us to persevere in faith and in bringing your glory and honor and praise to our whole lives. In the perfect, spotless righteousness of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from 1 John 4. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Oh 
I don't know what it is about that song. I find it gets me very emotional. I don't know about you guys, but it does. Uh, it gets me very emotional. Um, Brian and Nicole, do you mind uh, coming up here, please? So we'll put you guys here, and I'll go here. Hopefully, can we all still be seen on the screen? Yeah? Okay, good. Yeah. So, you know, almost four years ago now, this newlywed couple, newly married Americans from the Southwest, found themselves in a little town called Dundas. New country, new school, and they're walking along, and they see this sign that says Grace Valley Church Office. And they're like, hmm, there's a church in this town. Interesting. And I don't know if it was that Sunday or soon after, they found out where we worshipped. We were still at the, the Air Force Club, and they walked in there, and uh, you, you saw this giant of a man uh, walk in. Your hair is pretty laid back now, but I think it was like whoosh, way out here back then. And uh, his beautiful wife, they walk in, and uh, they introduce themselves and where they're from and why they're here. Brian was going to be studying at McMaster Divinity School, and uh, Nicole was playing Ruth and going where he was going and being willing to uh, bear the burden of that. And, um, you know, very quickly they uh, endeared themselves to our community and became part of it. It was interesting. They, uh, they're a very gifted and talented uh, couple. Um, Nicole has a heart for service like few people I have met and a very genuine love for other people. And Brian, uh, for, for a man his age, has wisdom beyond his years. And uh, we sensed that very early on, but it, it was a while before we got to appreciate it because they had committed to uh, focusing on one another for the first year of their marriage. And so their involvement in Grace Valley was relatively limited for the first uh, number of months. But boy, oh boy, once that year was up, they jumped in with both feet. And I want to say to all of you who may find yourself moving away for a period of time, uh, you know, we live in a very, uh, what's the word, um, transient kind of age where people travel around a lot and settle in different places. Um, you can take a lesson from Brian and Nicole, which is wherever you find yourself, embed yourself in a community as quickly as you can. And yeah, it, there's potential for leaving. There's potential for heartache and sadness uh, because there is, you know, parting is such sweet sorrow, as the, the, the bard says. Um, but it is better to build relationships and feel the pain of loss when those change than it is to 
be standoffish and not participate in community because you think we're only going to be here a little while. Brian and Nicole, uh, they jumped in with both feet and uh, we are really, really thankful for your participation in our community. Especially, uh, I know that, um, that Nicole, your, your kindness uh, has been uh, noticed and appreciated by many, many people. And as I said, Brian, um, your, not just your knowledge, but your wisdom as a man of your age has been noticed and appreciated by many people in this community as well. And we, we are going to miss you. Now, when you're a Christian, it's never goodbye, ultimately. It's till we meet again. And who knows, maybe someday we'll be meeting again here in Dundas. Maybe I'll uh, finally make my way down to Phoenix with Jessica, and you guys can put us up on a cheap vacation, if vacations are ever possible again. Or maybe we'll run into each other on the streets of the New Jerusalem. And... Uh, I look forward to that, and many of us in Grace Valley do. Now, we, want to, we don't want you to forget us, of course, right? We want you to remember us, and we want you to remember uh, Dundas. So what we did was we, first of all, we got a couple of t-shirts with Grace Valley Church on them. Whoa, this is like... Look like, it looks like a kid's size, but I'm assuming this is for you, Nicole. I was going to say, maybe you could wear this running, but I don't know if you can wear this uh, anywhere outside of the house. <laughs> uh, uh, anyhow, uh, and then this one, I think we asked for the biggest one they had in the world for you, Brian. We hope and pray that, <laughs> that it will work. Maybe you can both only wear them around the house. I don't know. Uh, but we want you to be able to remember us while you're in, uh, while you're back home. And then we also want you to remember our town, Dundas. And so what we did was we had our dear friend Chelsea Haas, who you are a friend of as well, uh, paint this picture of the downtown of Dundas. And as far as I know, you guys liked Detour a lot and liked to spend time at Detour and maybe uh, visited the Collins occasionally as well. And so um, we thought this would be a nice token of our love for you. And maybe you can put it up in your place in, in Phoenix and every now and then have a look at it and think of us. So here you go. Um, I don't know if you guys want to say anything. You don't, feel, you don't, don't have to feel uh, compelled to say anything. Um, no? If I want? Okay. Well... Here, talking, talking to that. Okay. I'll put my mask on. It's a good long cord. Can you hear me well? There you go. Well, Nicole and I just want to thank you for all the hospitality and love you guys have shown. Uh, we knew immediately when we stepped into Grace Valley that it was a loving community that, you know, made it easy to jump into. And I got to thank you and your wife for that. Uh, it's been. Uh, it's been the, the greatest church and the greatest experience we've had, and it'll be, it will be sad to leave for sure. And it's, this is the, the highlight. No matter what, we had this rock weekly to come back to a community that loved us and loved Christ. Thank you so much. All right, we're going to pray for you guys. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, 
we thank you for Brian and Nicole and for all that they have been to our church. We thank you for uh, their open hearts to be, uh, to be open to us, to, to in not just um, uh, allow themselves to be invited into our community, but also to, in, to invite us into their lives as well. We thank you for uh, their example of followers of Jesus who want to serve him uh, wholeheartedly and uh, in a committed, devoted way. We thank you, Father, for um, what we've learned about America and Americans through them. And we thank you, Lord, for the joy that they have brought us. We're going to miss seeing Brian rock out on the, on the rhythm guitar or the bass guitar. We're going to miss uh, enjoying their company around church picnics and playing sports with them and uh, having them over for dinner and hearing about... Uh, about uh, their lives and participating in it. We're going to miss that. Um, we thank you, Lord, for the time that we have been able to enjoy together. And we pray, Lord, that the blessing that we have been to them will, will strengthen and, uh, and encourage them as they return to Phoenix, as they uh, continue their lives there. And we pray, Father, that uh, in the same way that they uh, embedded themselves here, and served you through the church here, that they will carry that with them when they return uh, to Phoenix, that they will seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, that they will trust that you will uphold them in all that they do, and that you will, uh, you will bless them. Um, we know that it's been a hard, especially the last year, uh, has been really, really hard. When you can't visit family and you can't even really visit your church family all that much, and you are uh, sort of alone in this new space, it feels at times, Lord, it can be very, very difficult. And so they are excited to return uh, home where they are close to family and, and longtime friends, and we are excited for them. And, and our loss is certainly their gain. So, Father, be glorified in Brian and Nicole. We look forward to hearing uh, how you will do that. And... Uh, as, as I said earlier, Father, we, we are thankful that when Christians part, as, as sorrowful as it may seem in the moment, it is never an a absolute and total parting. Uh, we will see one another again, at the very least, in the new heavens and the new earth. And so we pray, bless them as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're going to keep praying for a couple of minutes. Let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, we continue to pray. Uh, we have a lot to pray for. Uh, we are thankful, Lord, for the opportunity to worship you and, and the privilege of worshiping you, even under these crazy COVID circumstances, Father. But we also know that, um, that COVID is a huge concern in our lives right now and in the lives of, of our loved ones. Father, there are there are people who are infected. There are people who have been hospitalized. There are people in ICU, even people that we know and care about. And uh, so we lift before you this pandemic, and we ask, oh God, that you would, you would, you would end it. That you would. Uh, we're asking for a miracle, Father. We're asking that you would 
would show us the light at the end of this tunnel as we are tired, as we are frustrated, as we are, some of us are, are really scared about the future, understandably, because of financial constraints and um, relationship breakdowns that have been brought on by this uh, pandemic. Father, we just ask you to put an end to it. We pray, Father, for our friends and other churches who have been shut down because of outbreaks. We pray that you will uh, return them to worship soon. We pray for, for Kitty's daughter-in-law as she is, uh, uh, she is suffering from COVID and Kitty is very worried about her and concerned. We pray, Father, for India, a whole nation that has just been cast into turmoil over all of this. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you will, you will miraculously provide the oxygen that is needed for, for those who are, are struggling to breathe because of this infection this virus. And we pray, Lord, uh, again, that you would put an end to uh, this terrible, terrible pandemic that we are facing. Father, we pray for safe families. We thank you for that ministry. We pray that we will be a, uh, an active participant in that ministry, that we will have opportunities to share the love of Jesus with those families in crisis that you put in our midst. We thank you, Father, for the heart for, of service and outreach and mission that you have, uh, you have given this church. And we pray, Lord, that we would not, uh, if, if anyone in this community, in this church, feels somewhat drawn um, to this ministry by you, that we would not, we would not ignore that, but we would, we would follow that calling and we would pursue that calling and we would uh, find ways to uh, participate in that calling. And Lord, may we not be afraid to go beyond our comfort zone and beyond our, what's been normal for us and what we're used to. May we not be afraid, Father, there's a sense in which following you in obedience and in service is an adventure. And when we commit ourselves and submit ourselves to your calling and we step out in faith and do that, Father, it is exhilarating. And so we pray, Lord, for that opportunity and we pray, Father, that you will bless families through this ministry and through our participation in it. Father, we pray for Kendra. We are so thankful to hear that she has been accepted by Teen Challenge. She plans to go there on May 3rd, next, not, not tomorrow, but a week Monday. Um, she's nervous, of course, and she feels like it's going to be a long time and the devil's trying to convince her that she ought not go. May she be strong, Lord. May she know that time will fly, that it will be time well spent, and that if she invests this time, it will be a huge blessing to her going forward. There are so many years ahead of her where she can uh, minister to her family, and she can uh, participate in the life of the church, and she knows deep in her soul that this would be good for her, and so we pray that you will dispel all fear and doubt, and, uh, and, and encourage her to take on that ministry, or take on that, to, that challenge. Father, we pray for those who are unwell. There are people we know and love that are very, very sick. Some of them, it seems terminal, and our heart breaks for them. We think of, of um, Frank and Suzanne's nephew, John, as he has cancer and it is inoperable. We pray, Father, for John Thiessen's mom as she is in palliative uh, care. We pray for Dave Mantle, a friend of, of mine and close family to dear friends of mine who is also near the end of his life and a father of four young children. Uh, Father, we, pr we lift all these people to you and we plead with you to be present with them and, and hold on to them and whisper your, 
your love and comfort to them and remind them, Father, that you have defeated, ultimately, you have defeated death. So if they fear death, they need not fear death. May they know there is life on the other side of death. May they trust that. May they hold on to that. May they bask in that. And may, may, they, may they and their families take great comfort and strength from that. Of course, Father, we pray again for Moses, for Rob and Carol Ann's little grandson, as he, uh, he continues to, to carry on um, uh, despite uh, the prognosis. And our prayer for him is for healing miraculously, but in the meantime, for your presence among, in, his, in, his, in his circumstances, for him and for his mom and dad. And, and comfort Carol Ann and, and Rob as well, as, as it's very difficult for them to be able to go see them as they are in the States. Father, as we, uh, we open your word now, um, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, we ask in your son's name. Amen. So our scripture reading uh, for this morning is in the book of Acts, chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 is a pretty well-known passage, actually, for many Christians. Uh, it's the story of Saul, the Apostle Paul's conversion. We're following the Jesus Storybook Bible, and we are almost finished that series, actually. We have just two weeks, today and next week, and then uh, we've made it through the Jesus Storybook Bible. And this, this story is all about conversion and how the Holy Spirit, who has now come, we learned about His coming last week uh, as Mark preached from Acts chapter 2, how He works to bring about conversion in the lives of people. So let's hear God's Word from Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters for, uh, to the synagogues in Damascus, so that, he, that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judah Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, 
Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord. So let me, uh, let me actually start uh, with an announcement, a uh, really, really exciting announcement. We prayed for Kendra uh, during the, the congregational prayer. Well, uh, Kendra will be leaving for Teen Challenge, Lord willing, on May 3rd. That's a week from tomorrow. But before that, on May 2nd, we have the privilege and the honor of celebrating Kendra's baptism. So next Sunday, you're going to want to tune in for this, everybody. Next Sunday, Lord willing, Kendra will be here, and she will be baptized into the church, and she will uh, give her testimony, and she will say her membership vows and become a covenant member of Grace Valley Church. Now, why is that all happening? What's going on? Well, I mean... The common language that we would use to describe what happened to Kendra is is that she was converted. She came to the place where she believed that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God, that she was living in rebellion to Him. She turned away from her sin, she repented of that sin, turned away from it, and she embraced faith in Jesus Christ. That's what conversion is, and that's what happened to Kendra. Well, what we're going to do this morning for a few minutes, maybe as a preparation for what we're going to witness next week, is we're going to think a little bit about this concept of conversion. Um, all Christian traditions, and we all know that there are a number of Christian traditions, all Christian traditions agree about the necessity of conversion. So it doesn't matter what Christian tradition you're a part of, every one of them knows that conversion, this notion of conversion, is critical. It is essential. It is a requirement in the Christian faith. If you are to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're to be a Christian, you have to be converted. Now, there's three kinds of people who are listening to this right now. First of all, there are, I hope and I pray, that there are non-Christians listening to this right now. And you non-Christians hear that, and you might think to yourself, hmm, I wonder what that is. Like, I don't really understand what conversion is. I'm, I'm a bit curious about it. And so, if conversion is a critical part of the Christian faith and a critical part of being a follower of Jesus, Christ, it would be good for you to know what it means, right? And of course, there are believers, Christians who are listening to this, people who are already converted, already followers of Jesus Christ. And the question I have for you is, is if you are converted, how come you don't show the same kind of joy, the same kind of confidence, the same kind of excitement about your conversion and your relationship with Jesus Christ that the Apostle Paul showed? And thirdly, then there are people who are listening to this who think they're converted but aren't. The sad reality is, is that in the church, that happens. There are people who go to church, maybe for a very, very long time, who think that they're converted, who think that they're followers of Jesus Christ, but they actually aren't converted. They actually aren't followers of Jesus Christ. And so the question for you is, well, how do I, how do I know if I'm converted? Because you don't want to, if it's essential, if it's critical, if it's required, you don't want to find out that you don't have whatever it is that conversion is supposed to be. So how do you know? Well, we're going to look at Paul's conversion because it was the real deal. 
and we're going to discover some, some components to conversion that are, that are present in all conversions. Now, let me say very quickly before we get to the actual story here, every individual's conversion story is unique. Our conversion stories are kind of like snowflakes. There are no two that are the same. And not everybody's conversion, obviously, is going to be dramatic like Paul's is. In fact, most of them aren't. But there are common characteristics of conversion that are found in Paul's conversion that are found in every conversion. It may not look exactly the same way, but the principles are there. So let's have a look at this passage and see kind of four things that are characteristic of conversion. Starting, first of all, with this. True conversion begins with God, not with you. This is verses 1 to 4. In verses 1 to 4, we read about this guy named Saul. He was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he would... uh, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Well, let's stop right there at the end of verse 2. This is describing Paul. Now, you might think, ooh, you know, Paul's a bad dude. He's breathing out murderous threats against the church and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, that doesn't sound very good. But actually, from his perspective, from his worldview, from his religious tradition, Saul or Paul was actually a really, really good guy. In Philippians chapter 3, we read that, that Paul was, um, was a good Jew. He was a, a successful Jew. He was highly educated. He was quite sophisticated. He stuttered, studied sorry, under a rabbi by the name of Gamaliel, who was a, a highly touted uh, rabbinical scholar. And so from within his worldview and his tradition... Paul was actually a a really great guy. He was upright. He was upstanding within his community. And he had a very fulfilling career. He was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a, a particular sect within Judaism that studied the law and kept the law fastidiously. And Paul was one of these types of folks, and he was kind of an up-and-coming scholar within that community. He received these letters from the, the, the uh, Sanhedrin in Jerusalem that allowed him to go out and hunt down Christians that were a threat to his faith. And in fact... He, he was very good at doing that. He was kind of like a Blade Runner sort of uh, character. And you might think, well, this doesn't sound like a good guy at all. But again, from the perspective of his culture, from the perspective of his religion, Paul was actually a leader in his community. And he was a great guy. But here's the thing. Paul was not looking for God not at all. Paul was not what you would call a seeker. He had, he had no interest in Christianity other than to stamp it out because he saw it as a dangerous threat to his own religious tradition. In other words, he was kind of the last guy you would ever expect to become a Christian. You know, in verses 10 and 11, uh, we read about uh, Jesus appearing to this guy named Ananias, and he tells Ananias, you know, you need to go to a place called Straight Street, and there's a guy there named Paul, and he's going to you gotta, you gotta, um, 
uh, you got to go place his hands on, your hands on him and re- he'll recover his sight and all this kind of stuff and he's going to serve me. And Ananias basically says to Jesus, uh, hold on a second. I know this guy. I've heard of this guy. This guy is persecuting your church. Are you sure you've got the right guy? That this guy is going to be one of your apostles? This is kind of, it's impossible. And yet... And yet, verse 3 says, as, excuse me, as Paul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? In other words, Jesus came to Paul. He confronted Paul. Paul was not seeking Jesus. He was not looking for him in any way. He was just merrily going along, doing his job, and boom, he gets confronted by the risen Christ. And here's the thing. Conversion is always initiated by God, not by us. Not everybody's conversion story is as dramatic as the Apostle Paul's, although for some people it is. You might hear a a bit of a dramatic uh, story from Kendra next week, but many of us don't have a very dramatic conversion story. Probably most conversion stories aren't all that dramatic, but all Christians, at some point, when they look back on their relationship with Jesus Christ and how they became a follower of Jesus Christ, they all realize that, you know, it wasn't so much that I was looking for him, but, but he was actually looking for me. And a famous example of that, of course, is uh, C.S. Lewis in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. He says this, listen to what he says, amiable agnostics will talk cheerfully about man's search for God. To me, they might as well talk about a mouse's search for the cat. And his point, of course, is, is that Mice don't go looking for cats. Cats go looking for mice. And you and I, we're the mice. And we don't go looking for God. The Bible says that no one seeks for God. No one seeks for God. And yet, God seeks for us. Unless God does something in us first to attract us to Him, to make Jesus uh, uh, attractive to us, make Him desirable to us in some way, we will have no interest in Him. There's an old uh, Reformation hymn that goes like this, "'Tis not that I did choose you, for that would never be. This heart would still refuse you, but you had chosen me. My heart owns none before you. For your rich grace I thirst.'" This knowing if I love you, you must have loved me first. Now, I know that raises questions about how a person comes a Christian, etc., and why someone may be a Christian and another person may not be a Christian. I don't have time to get into all that. All I'm going to say is this. If you are not a Christian, or you're not sure you're a Christian, but you are curious... You have this strange attraction to Jesus. You you find yourself bumping into Christians and uh, running into people of faith and uh, maybe coming across religious stories in your news feed and all these things that are kind of making you say, hmm, I wonder if I should investigate Christianity a little bit. You know what that means? If you have even the least bit of curiosity, God is already pursuing you. What a comforting thing. See, God is not a needle in a haystack. 
It's not like you have to search to the ends of the earth to find God and find religion and find spirituality. No. If God has his sights set on you, you can be sure he will find you and you will find him. That's the first thing. The second thing, though, is is that real conversion, true conversion, means an encounter with the risen Christ. Look at verses 4 and 5. He fell to the ground. So Saul, he falls off his horse or whatever, and he falls to the ground. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Of course, Saul says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. What does it mean to be converted? It means to put your trust in the risen Christ. That's who Paul encounters here. Now, there's, there's two aspects to this that, that we need to be aware of. Think about this. First of all, very often people think that, that religion, becoming religious, is really just about subscribing to a bunch of teachings, dogma, doctrine, right? You have to believe certain principles, that kind of thing. And that is true to some degree. In fact, it's true of all religions. Uh, Islam, for example, says that if, uh, if you believe that there is one God who is Allah and Muhammad is his prophet, if you believe that sincerely, those, those dogmas, those teachings, then you become a Muslim. And Christianity has doctrines that you have to believe too. I mean, uh, very simply, the Apostle Paul summarizes it super well in Romans chapter 10, uh, where he says basically this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, So there are things, teachings, doctrines that you have to believe, you must believe in order to be a Christian. But Christianity is unique in this. It's not just about teaching. You know, the Apostle Paul, he did not encounter four noble truths on the road to Damascus. He didn't run into the eightfold path, okay? He didn't didn't discover the Vedas of Hinduism or, or pick up the Book of Mormon or something like that. No, he met a person. Jesus, you see, because he is the resurrected Lord, he is a living, breathing, thinking, feeling, acting person. That's who Paul discovered. And so to be a a Christian means to have a relationship with a person. Now, why do I emphasize that? We emphasize that here a lot. Well, here's why. Sometimes people will say, you know, I like to think of Jesus as. I remember, now this is dating me, of course, because I don't know if she's even on TV anymore, but I remember once watching an episode of Oprah. And uh, it's not like it was a regular occurrence for me or anything, but somehow I ended up watching an episode of Oprah and they were talking about religion and they were talking about sexual ethics and how it's related to religion and all that kind of stuff. And someone stood up and said, well, you know, Jesus... Uh, in the Bible, he calls us to a certain lifestyle, etc. And Oprah said, my God would never condemn X, Y, and Z type people. As though she had the right to determine who Jesus is and what he's like. And you hear that. Sometimes people say, well, my God would never do this, or my Jesus is certainly like that. Well, you can't do that with a person. Imagine if I am sitting with you at the, at the coffee table, at, at Detour, 
okay? And we're having coffee together, and you tell me all about yourself, and you say, you know, I'm six foot seven and 200 whatever pounds, and I love football, and I love New Testament theology, and I love playing bass guitar, and I say, I kind of like to think of you as, you know, a, a five foot 11 soccer player who has no musical ability or interests, and uh, you know, really what you want to do is play Call of Duty all day long. You say, wait a minute, that's, you're not listening to me. You're not, you're not letting me be who I say I am. And the same is true when you encounter the risen Christ. You have to encounter him on his terms. If you're going to have any kind of relationship with him, you have to encounter him as he is. You don't do that with anybody else. Why would you do that with Christian, with Jesus? Another thing is, you know, sometimes people say, well, I'm interested in Christianity. I'm curious about Christianity, but I, I, I want to know some things. I want to know what's Jesus' view of poverty and money and economics. Or I want to know what Jesus' view of, of sexual ethics are. Or what's Jesus' politics like? Or what's his view of other religions? Before I'm interested, but you know, I can't believe in Jesus if his views on these things don't line up with my own. But think about this. Here's the Apostle Paul, okay? He was an Old Testament Jew. He had some very, very strong beliefs about what was true and what was right and how things ought to be. And here he, he was raised to believe, first of all, for example, that, Jesus, that, that God could never, ever, ever be represented in, in a human form. He was, believed, he was taught that, that if you wanted to have a relationship with God, you had to do it through the sacrificial system and you had to do it through keeping the law and you had to do it through, through the temple, going to the temple to worship. And here is this Jesus, this resurrection Jesus, who says, I am God in the flesh. I am the exact image and representation of God. I have broken the first commandment, if you want to say that, or second commandment. And I have fulfilled the temple system. I have fulfilled the sacrificial system. I have fulfilled all this kind of stuff. Now, what if Paul had said, well, you know, I don't know. I kind of find that hard to believe. Sorry, Jesus. But he couldn't. Why? Because he was encountering the risen Christ as a person. Not a philosophy. We, we even see it in the question, in fact. You notice that Jesus, he says, Saul, Saul, not, why do you reject my teaching? Why are you against my philosophy? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's an encounter with this person, the risen Christ. Thirdly, true conversion means that you obey you want to know if you're a follower of, of Christ, of the risen Christ? You want to know if you're converted? Ask yourself, do you do what he says? You know, in verse 6, uh, Paul is told, get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. What does Paul do? He goes, and he waits for Ananias, and he meets with Ananias, and the scales come off his eyes, and he submits to baptism. And if you follow the New City Catechism videos that Mark puts out, you'll know that last, last week he talked about good works and he talked about the role that good works play in a Christian life. And one of the things he said is, is that it, it provides 
assurance. It provides assurance. And here's one of the things that that shows you that you are a, a converted, a follower of Jesus Christ. You care to obey. You want to obey Jesus. In John 14, he says, if you love me, you will do what I command. You will keep my commandments. You will think about how you can please him. You will think about ways that you can honor him. You will think about ways that you can, you can bring joy to his heart and, 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 and uh, advance the cause of his agenda. You want to please him to show your love to him. You'll ask yourself, you know, you'll ask yourself stuff like, how do I help others? When before, you weren't really concerned about helping others. Sure, if, you know, pre-cell phone days, you might be the kind of person to stop on the side of the road when you saw somebody parked there with their four-way flashers on and you'd see, you know, there's, there's a woman in distress and you might stop in the car and ask them how they're doing. But it wasn't like it was uh, at the forefront of your mind that you were constantly looking for ways to, to help and bless other people. But now you do. You look at your finances now and you say, okay, God has blessed me with a certain, certain amount of finances. Now, how do I be generous with the things that God has given me? Before, you know, you didn't think about it too much. Maybe when the Cancer Society dropped by and said, hey, you want to give 20 bucks to, uh, you know, deal, uh, you know, cancer research? You say, sure, you write a check and you, you maybe help out a little bit. But now you're actually trying to figure out, how do I use this? You look at your sexuality and you say, this doesn't exist just for my kind of short-term pleasure in the moment. Well, how do I use my sexuality in a way that honors God? And, and it makes sense that that's the case because you see, conversion is actually about giving yourself to Jesus. And you say, I am happy to obey. Listen, <laughs> I am a married man. And my wife asks me to do things sometimes that in all honesty, I think this does not make sense. I don't want to do this. I don't think it makes sense. I think it's a big bit of a waste of time for me. But I love her. And I do them anyway. Why? Because she's worth it. Because she's happy about it. I am eventually going to have to put this crib together that I just took apart like only weeks ago, and it was a real pain in the neck to take this thing apart, and I'm going to have to put this thing back together. I got like 25 pictures on my phone to help me figure out how to do it, all because she wants this crib set up so that we can help take care of Benjamin once in a while. And I don't want to do it, but I will do it. Why? Because she's worth it, because she loves me. I love her, and to please her fills my heart with joy, even when it's something I don't want to do. You obey. Last thing, conversion is a change in identity. You know, when, when the scales come off uh, Paul's eyes uh, and he can see, it says in the, in the second last verse, it says that he got up and he was baptized. He was baptized. Like, like what's going to happen to Kendra next week, Lord willing. What happens in baptism? According to the Bible, in baptism, when you are baptized, you are identified with Jesus. When you are converted, Scripture teaches that you are kind of, you are united to Jesus spiritually. So what that means is, is that what happens to Jesus, what happened to him, has happened to you. And baptism symbolizes that. 
So that's why, for example, in Romans chapter 6, it says this. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, excuse me, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. It's describing this union with Christ and describing how, how, how when you're united to him, all the things that have happened to him are now happening to you. They are true for you in a, in a spiritual sense. Let me, let me try to try to explain this. You know, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, imagine this. Imagine today you become a Christian. You put your trust in Jesus, you repent of your sin, you embrace him by faith, and then you go to bed. And you wake up the next day. What has changed? I mean, you're in the same house, uh, you have the same family, you still have the same job, your bank account hasn't changed, you're the same age, you know, you're the same weight. Nothing's changed in a sense. And yet, and yet, everything has changed. Everything has changed because of your union with Jesus Christ. See, before you went to bed that night, if you had guilt over your failures, if you had guilt over the sins that you had committed, if you felt guilty about not measuring up to the standard that you had set for yourself, how did you deal with that? You had to deal with it on your own. But now, because you've been converted, you know that, that, that Jesus has paid the, bet, the debt and the penalty for your guilt, and therefore you don't have to live with that. You don't have to carry that, and you don't have to deal with it. He has dealt with it for you. Before, you had to ask yourself, well, what's the meaning of life? Why am I here? What's the purpose for existence? I don't know. Is it to make a lot of money? Is it to, to have a lot of sex and I'll have a lot of pleasure? Is it to, to build up my portfolio? Is it to experience lots of, of life's adventures by traveling like crazy? Why am I here? Is it to get married and have kids and create a legacy for myself? Why am I here? But now you know why you're here. You're here to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Before you had to ask yourself, you know, does anybody love me deeply and know me completely? It's the holy grail of relationships, right? To be deeply known and fully loved at the exact same time. Is there anybody who truly knows me? Even my spouse. Does my spouse really love me? Do they really know me? You've always got that little bit of doubt in your mind that you could ever be completely and fully loved if you were completely and fully known. And now... Now you know that it's true because Jesus has seen you to the bottom and loves you anyway. Before, you never ever even thought about death unless it was forced upon you by some kind of circumstance because you didn't want, you wondered what, what, what is, what's on the other side of death. You were afraid to, 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 to face death because you didn't know what happened after death and now you face death and though you don't want death and though you, do, you, 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 you are afraid of death in the sense that you don't want to have to experience it, you're not ultimately afraid of it because you know. You know that death has been defeated and that is not the end of the story for you. Now, let me close with this. You might be saying, wow, so that's what conversion is. That's awesome. How come I don't feel that way? <laughs> 
Does that mean I'm not converted? Well, possibly. Go through these things again and, and wrestle with it and ask yourself. But maybe you don't feel it, but that doesn't mean it's not still objectively true. You see, the, the life of a Christian is basically this. You ever, you ever see those shows uh, where people are put in the witness protection program? You know, they were part of the mob or something, and then they got taken out, and they testified against the mob, but now their lives are in danger, so the government takes them and moves them and gives them a new identity, a new name, and a new history, backstory, and a new all this kind of stuff, and, and, and now they have to live like they were, they were Tony Campoli before. You know, they were Tony Campoli, Tony the Knife, and now their name is, you know, Scott McAllister. And what they have to do over the rest of their lives is they have to learn how to live out of the new identity. And that's what it is for a Christian. You have this new identity that is objectively true because you have, you have been converted. God has worked in your heart to change it from the, from, the very, from the very root of it. But now you have to learn how to live out of that new identity. You have to learn how to become what you are. It's a little bit like sailing, you know? Sailing is a very fascinating kind of uh, sport. You, 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 you depend on outside forces to get anywhere. But you do have to raise the sail and learn how to use the wind, the outside force that you don't control, you have no power over it, but you do have to sort of participate in it if you want to get anywhere. And that's how it works. As a Christian, you come and you hear these stories of, of the, you hear the gospel preached, you participate in the means of grace, you participate in community like Brian and Nicole did when they joined this church and jumped in basically with both feet. You, that's, how, that's how you learn to live out of the new identity of a converted follower of Jesus. Okay. Let's pray. Father, hmm, I pray for the three types of people that are here in this worship service today. For those who aren't converted, Father, I pray that their curiosity would be piqued and that they would want to know more about Jesus. I pray, Father, for those who are believers, that they would, they would learn to raise the sail and harness the wind of the Holy Spirit's power in their lives so that they can, they, can really, they can really travel, they can really cruise in their Christian life. And then I pray for those who, who maybe thought they were not, or thought they were converted, but have discovered that perhaps they're, they have not put their trust in Jesus. They've, they've learned things about Him. They've assented to truths about Him, but they've never given themselves to Him. We pray that, that today would be the day that they do that. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that conversion would be something that becomes more and more common in this community at Grace Valley. We, we praise you for Kendra as we look forward to her baptism next week. Uh, but we do ask for more of those stories, of people that you have pursued, that you have taken the scales off their eyes so that they can see their need for a Savior and that they would be baptized into your church and experience uh, union with him. Because that is where life is truly found. In your son's name we pray, amen. Uh, we, are, we are currently fasting uh, from the table. And that is difficult, and it reminds us that we still live in a world that is groaning 
uh, under sin and waiting for the redemption of our bodies in the coming of our Savior Jesus. But as we wait, we do not wait uh, with sober sorrow, but we wait with eager anticipation. And let's do that by singing together our closing song. receive God's parting blessing. The Lord blesses you and keeps you. The Lord makes his face to shine upon you and is gracious to you. The Lord turns his face towards you and gives you his peace. Amen. Have a wonderful day.